Well, guys, Mama said there'd be days like this, so uh, we're going to just back it on down, and uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and we're going to proceed into our scripture, uh, because we definitely want to do the sermon, and, uh, and then we'll figure stuff out for next week and uh, work it again. So uh, let's go ahead and let's proceed to our scripture, which is 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 9. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 9. For you yourselves know, brother, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. This is God's word. Well, this crisis has been very interesting, hasn't it? And it's uh, altered our behaviors. And uh, this is a classic example of trying to adjust in the midst of these challenges. But uh, we have experienced uh, privileges and freedoms that we once took for granted no longer being uh, there. And perhaps a good thing out of this crisis is it's helped us to examine the question, what is truly important? What can I live with and what can I live without? You know, if you were to take away everything except for one thing, what would it be? Aside from your life, of course. What is the one thing that I could not live without? The answer, I hope that you and I see, is grace. That the only lasting foundation of our life that we can depend on, that will be enough, more than enough for us, is the unmerited grace of God. And that's what we're seeing in these men, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, who are writing uh, this book uh, to the Thessalonians. We see in their hearts uh, their hearts are shaped by the gospel. It's changing, it's motivating them in how they are choosing to live and to love. In their lives, we see and learn what a life shaped by the gospel looks like. I hope that by the end of this sermon that you and I will be able to ask and answer the question, what in your life is worth living for? And what in your life is worth dying for? So we're going to re-examine our lives in the light of these men's lives. We're going to look at three, th three ways in which the gospel propelled them. First of all, the motivation of the gospel. That's point number one. Point number two, the message of the gospel. And finally, number three, the heart of the gospel. Let's begin with the motivation of the gospel. See in verse 1, for you yourselves know, brother, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. These men came to Thessalonica and they preached the gospel and these 
people, the Thessalonians, they heard some of them and they believed and the church was formed. But the way in which they came, the church was formed out of the crucible of these men's suffering. Verse 2 puts it this way, For though we had already been treated, uh, uh, suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Remember, they had gotten this vision of the man from Macedonia that said, Come and help us. And so they had first of all gone to Philippi, and at Philippi, they had suffered and been painfully treated. They had preached the gospel, and lo and behold, by preaching the gospel, it had actually started a riot in the city. It says in Acts 16 that the crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods, inflicted many blows upon them, and threw them into prison, and ordered the jailer to keep them safe uh, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Sorry about that. Technical difficulties. All right, here we go. Let me keep going here. So they were, they were beaten. Notice that they were ordered, that their garments were torn off of them, that they were beaten with rods, and that blows were inflicted upon them. And so there was this failure, but there was still a boldness to declare to you the gospel of God. They went to the next town, and they continued to preach. Now, you have to ask the question, the last time they did this, they started a riot. What if this happens again? What is driving these people to go from town to town to, to continue to preach the gospel? Is there some sort of uh, motives? What What's what are this, uh, the motivations? We see in verse 3, we see that they say our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. In other words, there's no hidden agenda with these guys that's causing them to do this, to go from town to town. Verse 5, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext of, for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from the people whether from you or from others. They were not in this to get rich or to gain notoriety. It was not for glory or promise of fame. So what was it that was driving them? But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. The motivation that was driving them was not to please man, but to please God. You see, these men had a new master. It was the most important thing to them was what he thought about them, not whether they were successful in their missionary efforts or not. They were doing it to please God. And not some, from a sense of fear. In other words, if we don't do this, he won't be pleased with, with us. But rather from a joy that God was pleased with them. You see, these men had been set free from the tyranny of self. The truth of the matter, my friends, is that we were meant to live for someone outside of ourselves. We were meant to live for God. But we don't. We can't, aside from the grace of God. The fall of man has twisted us so that we cannot not think of ourselves. See, that's why mankind is never satisfied. 
Why, no matter how much you have, it's never enough. Because the self wants more and more and more and more. But these disciples have been freed from living for self. And now they're willing to live for God. They're willing to die for God. 2 Corinthians 5.14 puts it this way. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. Is If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. These men are convinced that one died for all. And when he's saying died for all, he means for believers, that Christ died for believers. And therefore, all died. In other words, this old self, the self that puts ourselves in the center of the universe, has to die. We need to be saved from it. And a Savior has come. His name is Jesus Christ. And we see that Christ's love is compelling them to live for God, and by living for God, going on these missionary journeys. Their lives are being reordered again with God's priorities as the gospel motivates them to live the way they are supposed to live. Because when everything is in its right place, we will live the way we are supposed to. I'm sure we're all familiar with that Polish astronomer, Nicholas Copernicus, who in 1543 had the audacity to suggest that the galaxy, the universe as they knew it at the time, was not, uh, uh, the earth was not the center of it, but rather the sun was the center of it. It was heliocentric. Now that, uh, you know, we couldn't believe that, couldn't understand that. Everyone knew earth was the center of the universe and everything else wrapped around it. But ultimately, the scientific experiments proved that, yes, indeed, the universe or the galaxy is heliocentric. Now, what do you think would happen if the celestial mechanics were changed so that the Earth was the center of the galaxy and everything else revolved around it? Now, of course, it would be an absolute disaster, in particular because if the sun, which has so much more mass and energy than the earth, started revolving around the earth, what it would basically do is, in effect, take the earth, and as the sun went around it, would slingshot the earth so that it would be sent off into oblivion. See, the earth was not made to have the sun and the other planets revolve around it. It can't handle that weight of glory, so to speak. But when the earth is orbiting around the sun, all is well. What is it that you are convinced of? What are you willing to sacrifice all for because of? What are you willing to shape your life around? Guess another way to put it is what are you compelled by? What is the spring that motivates your life to live? to love, to go out into the world, and to act. It's the treasure of the gospel that frees us from the tyranny of ourselves, of being self-centered, and gives us the ability to see the world around us, to see others, to live for the one who we were intended to live for, which is God. 
And so we must examine our motives. For if the love of Christ is not at the core of our heart, something else will be. This brings me to my second point, the message of the gospel. Verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. These men, the apostles, have been entrusted with the message of Jesus Christ. That's why we, uh, as in the Apostles' Creed, we say we believe in one holy Catholic, which means universal, an apostolic church. The apostolic gospel, the true gospel that Jesus has given them, has shaped their conduct. Notice in verse 6, nor did we seek glory from people. Now, I found that very interesting when I read that, because the truth of the matter is we do seek glory from other people, don't we? Why? Why is it so important what other people think of us? They stay with that theme. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Why is it that you and I spend so much time trying to please other people? Indeed, why do we have to please anyone? Why do we feel this desire and need to do so? The answer, my friends, is that we were made to be externally validated. You and I have a deep need to be recognized, affirmed, and validated by someone or something other than ourselves. And this is from God. It's the way that he made you and me. Psalm 103 puts it this way, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. It is God who made us, and we are his. Here's a good way to think about it. Imagine that you were a painting. You were a painting that had been created, of course, by a painter. You were once a blank canvas. And a, a master painter took some paint in his paintbrush and he created this picture that's you. He gave you life, so to speak. Now imagine you were this painting, but you were a living painting. You had needs, you had feelings, you had thoughts. Now what would be the most important thing as a painting that you would need to know? that would undergird everything else. It's simple. What does my master think of me? Was I worth the trouble and the effort to craft me, to bring me to life, so to speak? Am I beautiful? Is he pleased with me? Will he take me and put me over his fireplace to show everyone and to say how fantastic and proud he is of his painting, or will he cast me aside? Will he not like the work that he's done? Will he consign it to the pit, so to speak? And for that painting, everything hinges on that one question. But we are that painting. Indeed, it's Ephesians 2.10 that says, for we are God's handiwork. The, the word poema is where we get poetry. We are that painting. We are that poem. And the gospel has come, and the gospel brings good news. That's what it means. See, what gives these men this boldness to go from town to town, 
Do you think that they would suffer shame and pain and punishment if the message they had received and believed was God is not proud of me? God does not approve of me. God is disappointed that he created me and that who I am right now is not in line with his intentions for me. No, it's the exact opposite. This boldness comes from the fact that they have heard the good news of God in Jesus Christ, which says, you are enough. I am proud of you. I have redeemed you, and I want to put you on my mantle place. Notice in verse 4, he says, it's God who tests our hearts. They have recognized in Christ that God has tested their heart, and they have been found approved. They have been found worthy of his love. And this is the boldness that is driving them to uh, Thessalonica to preach the gospel. Romans 8.31 put it this way, What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. See, the beauty of the gospel is that I don't need to submit to anyone else's tests. Because I've passed the one true test. These disciples and I can seek to please God, not because we have to, but because we want to. The scriptures say that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. You see, you cannot love something until you're truly free to be able to do so. And because they have passed the test, they're willing to live for God and willing to die for God. 2 Corinthians 5.14. Excuse me, I'm using my traction here. <laughs> you and I are pains. And we go to so many different things to validate us. If you are a young woman, you're asking the question in your heart. Am I worthy of being cherished? Do you find me to be beautiful? And when we ask that question of the world, the world says, only if you look this way. Only if you do these things. And once you do them, the world says a little bit more, a little bit more, because it's never enough. If you're a man, and you're also asking the question, am I worthy? Have I done enough? Have I accomplished enough that I've finally reached the, the, the point, the threshold to justify my existence? And the world says just a little more, just a little more. But the reality is you never ever get there because the world cannot validate you because it did not make you. Only God can. And that's the good news of the gospel. That in Jesus Christ, we are made perfect in him. 
worthy to be hung on God's wall, to be praised and enjoyed by the one who made us. See, the beauty of this passage is that you can be free from the world. God sent Jesus Christ to take your painting and make it worthy. And the sentence has already been pronounced in Christ to all who trust in him. Since you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. We're all looking for answers. But the answer can only be found at the cross. For all who trust in him. For all to choose to live for him. See, we're either living a life of response or a life of questioning. In Jesus Christ, we can live a life of response, to live from his love, not for the love of the world. And this brings me to my final point, the heart of the gospel. When you start living a life of response, trusting in your validation from God through Jesus Christ, you're able to see the world as, it's, uh, as you're supposed to. You're able to see other people. Like Jesus, who rested and trusted in his Father's love. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So we see these people, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, having the same attitude and heart as Jesus. Verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had come, become very dear to us. See, for them, this wasn't a job. It was love. They were able to share not only the gospel, but their lives as well. To share each other's stories. To share the heartbreaks and triumphs of life. Because the gospel brings love. We love because he first loved us. The gospel gives us the power to live a life of response, not questioning. So have you come to Jesus? Have you made the decision that I will accept no other answer than the answer that is direct from God, for he has given it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel gives us the motivation to live the way and to love the way we should. The message of the gospel says we are enough in Jesus Christ. And the gospel gives us the heart to live and to love others. So let us... Um, let us trust in the Lord for God gives us eyes to see let's pray God we uh, uh, we thank you that uh, we're able to in the midst of uh, this craziness and this technology Lord to hear your word and to hear the truth because in the end that's the only thing that really matters God we pray uh, that we would trust in nothing else but you that you would be the motivation and desire of our hearts. And uh, we pray all these things in Christ's name.
Amen.